So last week, uh, I had the joy of introducing a great book of the Bible to some of you that I guess have not been around it before, and that's quite all right. But we had some great discussions and conversations as a result of that. <clears throat> I will remind you that if you want to go on the Bible app that was just on the screen, the, uh, the outline for today, some notes at least, and uh, uh, selected scriptures will be on there, so it'll make it easy for you. And we'll also have a lot of that right there on the screen for you. So a message that centers around, uh, I'm going to say, the life and times of uh, one woman called Esther, and that's the book of Esther, and if you are looking for it, get around the middle of your Bible and then go back a little bit, and you'll, you'll find Esther. It's a short uh, book, but I tell you, there's a lot there. It's a great book, a great story. There is not even one mention of God. The word God isn't even in that book. And you'd think, well, I wonder if this really is part of the, the canon of Scripture. But trust me, it is, and for a very, very good reason that we're finding out. We looked at chapters 1 through 6 of Esther last week, and uh, not all of chapter 6, so a couple of little places that we want to uh, that we want to kind of camp on this morning in just a, a few moments. But we said that Esther means that the word Hadassah, which was her original Hebrew name, it means to hide or conceal. And it's also, uh, Esther has also been translated by some and then anglicized to the word star. Now, here's what's happening. The king of Persia, and by the way, Persia was the Medo-Persian Empire was huge. Uh, it, it, it stretched from India to Ethiopia. And the king of Persia uh, had just removed his wife uh, from his life, from a palace life, from royalty, uh, from her position as queen and so on. Apparently, she was not obeying orders or commands and that's a no-no in the Persian household, the household of the king. So then he's chosen this beautiful, this really gorgeous young lady by the name of Esther to be his new queen. Now Esther is being coached along by a man by the name of Mordecai. He's actually her cousin, and he raised her as a daughter because her parents were gone. And so everything that happens here happens like it's on a big stage. It's tremendous drama. And, this, and, and I said that we, you always ought to set the stage for maximum impact. And boy, that's what Esther and Mordecai have done. Now there's another man in this story. His name's Haman. He is the king's right-hand man. He hated Mordecai with an unbelievable hatred because, of course, Mordecai and Esther, they're Jews. And just the sight of that Jew in the Persian court, uh, it just bothered Haman every day. He just couldn't get over the hatred. Matter of fact, he was so focused on that that he just kind of turned inward and just all he could see in a good in anybody was the good in himself. And I dare to say there wasn't much of that. But when you focus only on yourself, we said life then is always out of focus. So these things we're saying by way of review, some of you have heard them before, some of you are hearing them for the first time and just getting caught up with the story. So this man, Haman, following very badly flawed advice, 
prepares to have Mordecai hanged. He's got a plot that's already hatched, and he's got a way this is going to happen. Well, what happens is there were a couple of the eunuchs who guarded the gate who had conspired and were planning an assassination attack on the king. Mordecai heard about it and wrote about it. The king saw the writing, and so now he's wise to what's going on. And this plot, this undercover plot, is uncovered. And about that point in the message near the end last week, I said, you know, this just goes to prove that really truth is stranger than fiction. And we see it all around us. We even see it in today's political world. So what was our takeaway from that? I think it was that we ought to always choose the better side of life. We have these choices. Remember, those of you that heard that, I, I compared you know, hate, hatred and love and, and, uh, and crying and joy and anger and happiness, and et cetera, et cetera. And there's always that good side. There's always that better side of life. And how many times do we kind of miss that? And we don't choose right. And so I kind of left you with that, left you hanging. I did. And we're going to pull in again and, and, and kind of sew this together. So today, it's the same message and it's the same title. And the title is, When the Plan Backfires, Part 2. Let's ask God's blessing on this message. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for bringing us together as a family this morning. Thank you for each one that has, has arrived here with waiting heart, with listening ears, and with a spirit ready to be encouraged and inspired and challenged that we might go out of here to live a life that is pleasing to you. We thank you for your constant, constant blessing upon your word and we praise you for it in Jesus' name. And the whole church said, Amen. So, so the king is now privy to the plot. As they say, the plot has thickened. And so he knows what's going on, and he wants to honor the person who intercepted this awful thing. And so he laid out a plan, and he said, I want him... I want him to be decked out in the finest regalia. I want him to have one of my horses to ride on. I want him to be led through the plaza of the city on the horse. And I want someone calling before him, so shall it be done to the man whom the king wishes to honor. Now you'll find that in chapter 6 and verse 10. And that's where I'm picking it up uh, this morning uh, in verse, uh, that was 10, now 11, if you want to follow, and I think we have it on the screen. So Haman took the clothing and the horse, and he clothed Mordecai. He led him about on the horse. That must have been an awful thing to have to do. He led him about on the horse throughout the plaza of the city, calling before him, so shall it be done to the man whom the king wishes to honor. Wow. Wow. Haman. So Haman, think of this. He is so totally humiliated and so shamed and so ripped apart with this intense anger and hatred. He decides he'd slip home for a break. His head's covered, and he's going to share his embarrassing experience with his wife 
and his really good fair-weather friends. And here's what we read in verse 13 of chapter 6. Haman then related to his wife Zeresh and to all his friends everything that had happened to him. I love these next three words. These wise men, these are Haman's friends. If you know the story, you're finding a little humor in that. These wise men, along with his wife Zeresh, said to him, If indeed this Mordecai before whom you have begun to fall is Jewish, you will not prevail against him. No, you will surely fall before him. Mm. How quickly now the worm has turned. Here's, Here's a takeaway for you. These are very, very wise words. When you pick on God's chosen, you are playing against a stacked deck. And, and, and God himself is the dealer. Good luck. Now, while still licking his wounds, Haman's invitation to the banquet has arrived by royal dispatch. At the banquet, the curtain drops. The wild card is played, shall we say. Queen Esther made her request. Chapter 9 now. Or, uh, excuse me, chapter 7 now. And verse 3. Queen Esther replied, If I've met with your approval, speaking to the king, O king, and if the king is so inclined, grant me my life as my request, and my people as my petition. For we have been sold, both I and my people, to destruction and to slaughter and to annihilation. If we had simply been sold as male and female slaves, I would have remained silent. For such distress would not have been sufficient for troubling the king. The king demanded next in verse 5, I want to know who did this. I want to know who's behind all this. I want to know who is presumptuous enough to act in this manner. So Esther replies in verse 6, if you're following, of chapter 7, the oppressor and enemy is this evil Haman. So proud Haman automatically now has become terrified Haman. The king is enraged. He excuses himself from the banquet, goes into the garden to ponder the problem, and Haman, now facing a catastrophic end, still groveling, he's groping at the queen's feet on the couch. The king returns, and he angrily asks, when he sees that scene in verse 8 of chapter 7, will he also attempt to rape the queen while I'm still in the building? One of the king's attendants suggested in verse 9, made a very good suggestion. Indeed, there is the gallows that Haman made for Mordecai near Haman's home. It's 75 feet high. The king said, hang him on it. When the plan backfires. Verse 10. So they hanged Haman on the very gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. And the king's rage then abated. 
Here is the lesson. Simply, faithfulness is rewarded. Can I say that again? Faithfulness is rewarded. The once orphaned Hadassah, and now we know her as Esther, is not only queen, but now she is given Haman's entire estate. That's in chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. We're moving along, as you can see, chapter by chapter. Esther, in turn, does something. She assigns the estate to Mordecai. Mordecai, in turn, was made prime minister, taking Haman's place of authority. That eliminates the cause of their problems, but the problem still exists. The Haman-inspired king's edict had declared open season on all of God's chosen people. No exceptions. It's an edict that by law cannot be rescinded. It's like God's commandments. They can't be changed. They can't be just set aside. They can't be just put away. God is immutable. That means he's always the same, not going to change. And you know we ought to embrace that sameness, the sameness of God. And that's another subject for another title, for another message on another day. But we ought to trust the sameness or the immutability of our God. I'm glad he doesn't change. I'm glad he doesn't change. I'm glad he doesn't change because if he did, then he would be answering to the whim and the will of every one of us in this room, and they would all be different and we're a small portion of the entire world. We are to trust the sameness of God. We are to celebrate his immutability when he so... Here's, a, here's, a, here's, here's an example of the immutability or unchanging character of God. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Amen. Amen. We also cringe, though, when we read these words. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. What happened then? What happens to us? What happens when we think of these things? In the 8th chapter of Esther, verse 5, Queen Esther suggests, Let an edict be written rescinding those recorded intentions of Haman, because they're all evil intent, to destroy the Jews who are throughout all the king's provinces. Since the king's edict cannot be changed, and the king's edict cannot be rescinded, it can be annulled only with a surrogate. That is, someone who would stand between the law and us. Someone who would stand and take the blame and suffer the consequences that are rightly ours, but will do it on our behalf. Mordecai directed with the king's approval that all Jews in every city, let's look at verse 11, 
were to assemble and to stand up for themselves, to destroy, to kill, to annihilate any army of whatever people or province that should become their adversaries, including their women and children, and to confiscate their property. In effect, the king stood now with the Jews. In effect, the king is saying, I'm on your side. I can see the power that's behind you. I want, I want to stand up for you, and I want you to stand up for yourself. This was to take effect on the 13th day of the 12th month. That's the month of Adar, A-D-A-R. And the king's command could not be rescinded, but a new command could be issued. And a new command was issued. The king himself stands now with his people to kill those condemned by the first edict you'd have to first kill the king. So needless to say, not too many showed up to try to annihilate the Jews, but some did. And history records that nearly 75,000 people died throughout the kingdom while trying to kill the Jews. Isn't it interesting that even into the 20th century, this kind of hatred for the Jews was still going on. And now in the 21st century, it doesn't seem to have lessened or abated much. Now this tells us, this part of the story tells me what happened to God's commandments after Jesus made the payment in full for all sin for all time. And if you don't have that in your notes, you really need to write it down somewhere. Jesus made the payment in full for all sin, for all time. Stop and think of the enormity, the length, the breadth, the height, the depth of that statement. Jesus made the payment in full for all sin, for all time. We still fulfill the requirements of the law when we submit to the authority of the Holy Spirit, once we are in Christ. God's commandments are, are a picture of his holiness. When we violate God's commandments, we dishonor him, we dishonor his holiness, we walk away from that holiness, but in Christ, God stands with us. God stands for us. God identifies with us, and he calls us his people. And as we mature in the knowledge and the wisdom of God, we grow in grace, and we grow in understanding, and we become more Christ-like. That should be the goal of every believer, to be more Christ-like and to be more holy in our dealings and in our thoughts, and in our, our actions, and in uh, our conversation, and in every facet of our lives. Because Jesus made the payment in full for all sin, for all time. You know, living the Christian life, it's more a matter of letting than a matter of doing. Too many people are caught up in doing it's about 1% doing and 99% letting. Let me explain. 
The only thing God wants you to do is to turn loose of whatever it is that's keeping you from letting him do for you and with you what he wants for you. And look, once we're in the flow of God's will, he will supply everything that is needed for you to accomplish your purpose in Christ and live that life that he's designed for you to the fullest. We'll find purpose. We'll find peace. We'll find power. We'll find provision. We'll find partnership. We'll find protection. As we trim our sails to the Spirit, and as we set our course according to His compass, our destiny in Christ will be similar to that of the Jews in Persia in the time of Esther. Now in chapter 8, let's move on, verses 16 and 17. For the Jews there was radiant happiness and joyous honor. I want to just do a little aside here to tell you that some people even pretended, the Bible says, to be Jews because the fear of the Jews had overcome them. And you know what? I'm so fearful, I think I'll be a Jew. I think I'll pretend that I'm one of them. That's how the power of God's people was manifest. And, and let me say, there are all too many people in today's churches still who only pretend to be Christian. They're religious hypocrites. They work at imitating Christians rather than letting God accept them in Christ. And for all who are in the right place, for the right reason, in the name of God, consider these words. Chapter 9. Chapter 9, verse 3. The governors and those who performed the king's business were assisting the Jews, for the dread of Mordecai had fallen on them. So they feared Mordecai. They feared what was coming out of the royal household now. And they struck all their enemies with the sword, verse 5. And verse 10 says, they killed all the ten sons of Haman, but they did not confiscate their property. Those who sought the profit from the first law, this is an interesting thing, died according to the terms of the new commandment. Interesting. Those who were trying to keep the first law died according to the terms of the new commandment. God's commandments have not been rescinded, my friend, just covered by the blood of the Lamb. Just made perfect. Just made complete. In Him we are protected by the presence of the King. Yes, God Himself. In Christ, by submission to God's love, we grow into compliance with the requirements of the original law, into the righteousness of God himself. There's no way you can cause that to happen on your own. But being in Christ and led of the Holy Spirit, through the Lord Jesus, 
working in your life, God makes that to happen. Still in chapter 9, verse 19, this is why the Jews who are in the rural country, those who live in rural cities, set aside the 14th day of the month of Adar as a holiday for happiness, banqueting, holiday, sending gifts to one another. Sounds like a lot of fun. And by the way, still observed by most Jews to this day. Mordecai declared the 14th and the 15th day of the month of Adar, which is sort of akin to our month of March. It usually is right in the month of March area of the calendar each year. And that's the celebration of Purim. Purim is the Feast of Lots. And it's a very joyous Jewish celebration, just full of a lot of, a lot of partying and a lot of banqueting and a lot of happiness. And down in verse 32 of chapter 9, we read this. Esther's command established these matters of Purim, and the matter was officially recorded. And then we jump into chapter 10, and we look at verse 3. Mordecai the Jew was second only to King Ahasuerus. He was the highest-ranking Jew, and he was admired by, the, by his numerous relatives. Oh, everybody liked him now. He worked enthusiastically for the good of his people and was an advocate for the welfare of all his descendants. My friend, let me tell you, today, today, the fourth day of September, 2022, Today is the day the Lord has made, so let us rejoice and be glad in it. And dear friend, in the love of Christ I say, if you are not in him, oh, trust him today. Take him as your Savior and Lord today. Be born of his Holy Spirit so that you too can rejoice and be glad in the day. In this day, in every day, in all of your life. When the plan backfires. I started this message a week ago with this question. Did you ever mess up? Did you ever fall short of an expectation? Did you ever miss the mark spiritually? Did you ever have a plan that went belly up? Just didn't work. Did you ever have a great idea that is now dead on the ash heap of history? Did you ever think you might get revenge? Did you ever think you might win that battle after all? Did you ever think you might come out with glory? And to this day, it hasn't happened, and it's most unlikely it ever will. You see, when the plan backfires, 
And when the idea is dropped, and when the project goes nowhere, you need a refuge. You need a safe harbor. You need a savior, a friend, a confidant who knows you, who understands you, and has said, I'll walk with you. And I give you today that wonderful confidant, that wonderful shelter, that wonderful shepherd of his sheep, the Lord Jesus Christ, the precious Son of God. And I say, if you know him, let him be who he is. Remember that, 1% doing, 99% letting. And if not, I strongly encourage you to make that decision today, to yield to him, to give over to him the management of that life, and to trust him for your eternal safety in salvation. If you're at that point where you want to take that step toward God and where you want to speak to somebody about the need of your soul, please don't leave here today without having that conversation. I'll be glad to have as many as I need. Just seek me out or others that may be around you. I'm sure would be happy. Because when the plan backfires and all seems lost, you need a savior. Can we have a quiet time? I mean, I wonder if we may just pause right where we are. And I, and I wonder if everybody in the room could just reflect. Sometimes we call it introspection, like just looking inward. It, it, it's not about your brother or sister. It's not about your husband or wife. It's not about your children or your parents. Not about your friends that's here or friends that aren't here. It, the circle that's been drawn has been chalked just around you, just around me. And so we're responsible for everybody in that circle to make an accounting to God. I wonder if we can do that for just a moment or two. Whatever the need is, you need to bring it to Him. You need to offer it to Him. You need to recognize and realize that He alone can bring you through whatever you're struggling with today. He alone can give you the ultimate victory which will lead you into His heaven. But you must act now. You must come to Him. You must acknowledge who He is and what He can do for you. In these quiet moments, as you speak to him, let's allow just a moment or two, longer if we need it, to hear him speak to us. Father God, 
We pray for souls to be stirred. We pray for saints to be energized. We pray for our Savior to be glorified. In all that we think right now, in all that we say, and in all that we do in this heart of ours. For we pray with thanksgiving. We love you, Lord. And we want nothing more than to serve you and to honor you. And all God's wonderful people said, Amen.